The Athletic. Hello and welcome everybody to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined on the podcast today by Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. Charlie, you were there at Anfield on Saturday night, so we'll start with getting your thoughts on that game. Well, I thought Spurs played really well. I mean, they did kind of what we hoped from a best case scenario point of view. They were solid defensively and carried a real threat and were exact as we you know, as we thought might be the case, we're exactly the, the sort of team that Liverpool, if any team, they do struggle against a little bit. Um, they leave that high line, lots of space in behind. Spurs exploited it on the break and thought made Liverpool look pretty ordinary from an attacking point of view. You know, the second half, they mainly spent it slinging in crosses that Spurs dealt with pretty comfortably. It didn't It didn't feel like they were, you know, hugely under pressure. Um, I, know, I know that, you know, obviously they had spells where they were because Liverpool, of course, are going to do that. But I didn't think the second half was... Uh, a complete siege in the way it could have been. So yeah, I thought it was a it was a very impressive performance. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to say about the, both the performance and the result. You know, this time of year, James, I'm all about the the results, but uh, the performance. I think, despite the views of the Liverpool manager, on whom we'll 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 comment a little later on. Actually, it, 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 it suppose we're pretty. Pretty tremendous, really, even though they conceded 20-odd shots at goal. And so sooner or later, a deflection is going to go in. But individually and collectively, I thought they were really good. Yeah, it was an incredible performance. I was really, really impressed. Like, I think we'd kind of all said we kind of had a sense that there was a possibility of Spurs getting a result. And Charlie wrote his piece last week and said on a podcast. Well, we said how it would actually um, happen and we were kind of yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, we laid out how that yeah. would happen. And, and uh, I don't think the game was quite... I don't mean the game went quite in that way. I mean, Spurs did have to defend and they kind of scored a goal on the counter-attack, sort of. But actually, I thought it was a better performance from Spurs than that. And I know, and as you said, we come on to Klopp. There's a suggestion that Spurs played mega defensively. But I'm not sure... I mean, they had defending to do, but you expect to have to do that against Liverpool. I, I don't think it was... It wasn't like a... You know, they played the same system they played against Aston Villa and Newcastle when they scored a shed load of goals. It wasn't like they put extra... And I put an extra centre-back in and played two extra defensive wide plays. They played the players they had available. They would have played that team against anyone, Burnley yeah. or against anyone else. So, so I don't think they've done anything any differently. And they created chances in the game. Or actually what they did, which is what you said would happen, Danny, they, were, they had created openings and then didn't manage to actually get shots away, including that Hoiberg header at the end, which oh. we may come on to. You know, the fact yeah. that, uh, as Charlie said on his piece this morning, every defensive midfielder is surging into the box in the 94th minute to win a header, potentially to win the game. I don't think that suggests you're being mega defensive and clinging on. You know, and the goal is is an assist by Sessegnon, who is the furthest Tottenham player forward in this apparently Atletico Madrid-style defensive Alamo that the manager of Liverpool saw. I mean, individually, the the quality of Spurs defending, I think, is best summed up. I, I was right in saying, I think they've got 24 shots away, Liverpool. I don't remember Lloris making a great save. He didn't have to. They were no, blocked. They did. were charged down. They were intercepted. I can remember at least one, like sort of long, like thirty yarder straight down his throat that he just gathered really easy. That might have been the first shot of the game, actually. But I don't, I don't remember him making like a proper. He save. He only made two saves. There was, there was that one, and then there was one low down that he pushed away. Oh yeah, that was a good. That was, was a good save actually. I mean, I don't think it was like. Uh, 
he pushed it. What, what he did well was pushing it out wide. It wasn't no. like actually stopping the shot from going. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean? No, it's it a good piece of goalkeeping without being a great yeah. save. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Well, and we we spent a lot of time on this podcast praising, indeed, licking the very skin of Christian Romero. But I thought it sometimes that cast a. a perhaps a negative shadow over Dyer and Davis, who were just brilliant on the day. Yeah, both of them were outstanding. And, and I did a piece this morning on their defence, and statistically it was the lowest XG per shot that Liverpool have had in a game, Premier League game all season. It was 0.055, which is minuscule and tells you largely what your eyes would have told you was that they were taking a lot of pot shots from range. And that's a credit to how well... Spurs defended the fact that they were forced into doing that and yeah Dyer and Davis were brilliant I mean Davis got uh, I think he got the TV man of the match didn't he you know made that amazing block on Salah and Salah cut in and you're just waiting for him to you know do what he normally does which is put it in the corner causing Luis Diaz to lose his mind it was in a great yeah. position if he'd thought to square it Salah but you know great strikers don't square do they, they bang do it in. the whole back five were brilliant I mean I guess that that's one of the differences, James says they didn't change system. They don't. But what they do well in these games is they play almost like a back five. They did that against City and they did that again on Saturday. And it works extremely well. You know, it's, it's, it is very, very difficult uh, to break them down. I mean, that's definitely true. Out, out of possession. But then as Danny says, you know, Sessegnon's the furthest player forward on the goal. And actually, if you watch it back from when Lloris has the ball, Emerson Royale is like yes, weird. The field, like more it's... over to the left. I can't, I, I yeah. can't work out how. I mean, I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah, brilliant technique. Um, I, I'm sure there's a reason he was he had gone over there to cover or whatever, but I can't think what it is. But when you watch the highlights back, Larice hacks the ball up to halfway and it falls to Emerson Royale, like art, like sort of the left side of centre. I know. I, when I saw that first, he I, pings it for ping ping. I was like, has there been a game. set piece or something that I've not? been aware you know it looked like the sort of when someone's on the opposite flank often it's because they've been there for a set piece yeah. it, it was very weird on this show we like very much uh, to admit where we're wrong because it's such a novelty <laughs> but in this case the humble pie has to be mixed up baked and shared up between certainly myself and james charlie you'd probably try and sidestep the blame here emerson royale that was while maybe not cafu was his best game for Spurs, wasn't it? He, he was really competitive, I thought, uh, and very, very good. Yeah, the fans voted him man of the match, I think. He did, yeah, they did. On yeah. the Spurs official account. Um, yeah, that was definitely his best game for Spurs. He did really, really well, which I guess, just thinking humble pie-wise, um, hmm. I, I don't think anyone, or most people anyway, haven't questioned him necessarily as a defender. And in this game, admittedly, he got forward a bit, but... Largely, his performance was really good because he was very, very solid defensively, which was, which isn't a massive surprise given he was always a good right back and, and often good in the defensive side. But that being said, if he's going to be criticised for not being brilliant going forward, he needs a lot of credit for when he when it is a more defensive yeah, no, shift. Well, you've got to, you've got to call what you see. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah, he was really, really good. He's the new Spurs king of the far post defensive header to give away a corner. He was doing it when it was necessary and when it was completely unnecessary, wasn't mm -hmm. he? But he was heading them out. He's being extra careful. And I don't blame him for that. Clearly, that was the, the order of the day. But well done to him. I thought he, he was really good. As the forward players as well, in a game where they... Well, Kane had nothing to do except absorb the amount of kicking that Liverpool do. They are very, very big, strong physical team. It's one of their great strengths. Kane was resilient and did his thing. Son and Kulusevsky were, you know, had a lot of defensive work to do, thought it did it really well. And some of Kulusevsky's touches, James, were, you just think, okay, this this is the, he can really do it, this lad. 
the attacking players I thought for Spurs started the game quite slowly. And actually Son, he wasn't really in the game that much before the goal. And Kulusevski, I thought, as well, in the first maybe 20, 25 minutes was kind of incredibly quiet. And Spurs had so little of the ball. But there was a mo- the moment in that first half where Kulusevski kind of picks the ball up deep on the right and plays this incredible, like, angle, well, not angled ball, sort of ball down the line over the top of the wide player, who would that be Robertson, I guess. Like, into Hoiberg in space. And it's kind of a bit of a shame it was Hoiberg that had made that run and not maybe someone a bit more capable of playing the ball into the box. Not that he played an especially bad ball into the box, but I think it kind of did break down. And it was one of those moments where Spurs had the opportunity to create an opportunity and didn't quite do it. It must be difficult for a player like that when you're kind of feeding off scraps. And it'll be the same for Kane as well and so on. But they all kind of played their part in creating chances and holding the ball up, which is obviously what they're there to do. Well, we're doing, we're doing the thing that you shouldn't... Well, you have to do it. We, we're talking about individuals in what was a very compact and um, coherent team performance. We should once again... I mean, it is, it's almost becoming tedious, but I think we have to do, discuss again another goal for, for Son. And I think he's become the only the fifth Spurs player to score 20 goals in a Premier League season. Obviously, Kane has done it multiple times. And only the second, I think, to do it with no penalties. Mm. I mean, he's having an amazing season. Yeah, and 12 out of those 20 with his left foot. I mean, it's completely extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, the golden boot chase, very much on. He's just so, he's so clinical. And, you know, there were a couple of moments where he got it and the running was running at the Liverpool defenders. There was that one late on where he ran at them and then Ben Davis overlapped. Again, yep. you know, you've got your, good, good to see, you've got one of your wingbacks overlapping at that late stage, really going for the win. Yeah, I mean, he's just had an incredible season. He has kind of done what he's been threatening to do goals-wise, maybe for a little while. You know, I think it might surprise some fans, you know, that he hadn't really hit those numbers before because he's had so many seasons where it looked like he might. But he fully deserves all the plaudits that are coming his way. And, you know, I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that he probably has been really undervalued for, for quite a long time, which has been, you know, it's no problem for Spurs. It's It's great if... You know, other teams aren't sniffing around your best players for whatever reason. But yeah, what a, what an incredible season he's having. I mean, I don't know. You you you're probably closer. You are closer to the game than I am, Charlie. I should presume that players, when they're happy at a club, their agent just lets other other agents um, for clubs know there's no point in bothering with Son. You know, he's his he hasn't got any kids to be happy at school in London. But you know what I mean. There's so little. Mm. Um, discussion about his future and I presume he's put up a no I'm you know he's done the opposite to a come and get me please not want away at all is don't it? come and he's get me to, please no no it's right I, I want to stay it's a whole other kind of footballer that we're not used to let's move on then to Antonio Conte's tactics and I've got something negative to say about this but first of all mostly positive things the negative I wondered whether once Liverpool equalized and I know how difficult it is when you're set up to be defensively strong. Once you've conceded, you can't change it, or it's very hard to change that much. But James, I was surprised, heading towards shocked, that Spurs didn't try more to win the game in the last 20 minutes. Because the draw, as we'd all worked out, while it looks lovely on paper, the draw is absolutely no good for Spurs in that race for fourth place. Uh, no. I did have a bit of a conversation about this on Twitter after the game. I- I mean, I don't think... I think there's kind of a perception that when Winks came on for Kulusevski, that was a defensive change. But I, again, I mean, I don't really think 
if you look at how the game was going, that Spurs sat in any deeper or played especially differently in the last sort of 10 minutes of the match. But my point, time. exactly. Why didn't they throw on an extra forward? Because if, if one point is is no good to you, you might as well try for the three and, and risk losing the game. Maybe, but I think when you're, when you're set up in that system, the back three, the four midfield, and already three attacking players on the pitch, I don't, I don't know that you can kind of... How do you put another attacking player on the pitch in that system? You I'm take out really one sure. of the centre-backs. Or what, and go to back four? Yeah. I just think they'd be so explosive if they did that and they're not used to playing that way. It doesn't matter. I, I, they were, it doesn't matter, does it? They had to try and win the game. I'm not sure. Can I, t- can I, can I also share a new revelation? Having been the person, I think, to my knowledge, who was the first person to mention the draw was a complete waste of time, like last week or the week before. Yeah. The point actually is quite good if you factor in Chelsea. Because I know we establish oh. it's probably unlikely that... Uh, <laughs> New straw to clutch out. I love that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's probably unlikely that that point is going to come in handy with regards to Arsenal, given they play each other. And that, yeah. you know, you're, you're talking about like, however, both teams dropping points at the same time. But Chelsea are, what, five points ahead with three games to go. So And in free fall. Yeah, I mean, they look pretty terrible. They're playing Leeds away midweek. And, uh, you know, as Arsenal almost found out to their cost, you can never kind of rule out a, a team battling against relegation. And that would be a pretty spicy atmosphere up there. You know, Le- Leeds against Chelsea. Chelsea going to Leeds with fans for the first time in however long that would be, 20 years or whatever in the league at least. Yeah. Potentially their Premier League status on the line. I think that could be pretty feisty. Le- Chelsea, as we say, Guaranteed Leeds league. win. What are the other Chelsea <laughs> games? Uh, home to Leicester after the cup final. Yeah. <laughs> and home to Watford, which they will win, obviously. So if they lose the other two... They're on 70 points. Spurs win their last three games on 71 points. Chelsea's golden is much better than Spurs. I've solved it again. There's also, there is a scenario, which again, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll all scream at me, but there is a scenario, like a Premier League point is, it's not totally worthless in this. There is a scenario as well. If I'm not saying this is likely to happen, but then who thought Arsenal losing those three games and then winning those four games likely to happen? Who thought Spurs were going to drop points? They did. Anyway, they could, if say Spurs win against... Uh, Arsenal on Thursday that brings it down to one point if they then draw with Burnley which would obviously be a terrible result and everyone would be saying oh my god we've blown it that would move them ahead of Arsenal on goal difference which would mean if Arsenal lost to Newcastle Spurs would be ahead of them that's where that point would make a difference whereas if they hadn't had that point Arsenal could have would be able to afford to lose that game or obviously the same thing transposed to the Everton game so we don't know yet it's totally pointless but I take your point I mean it was it was an interesting dilemma because I did have a lot of people saying to me what are we doing and there did seem like an element of kind of muscle memory where you're picking up a valuable point at Anfield you know that it, it's mm. so clearly a good result and and I do want like you can't quantify these things I just I don't know how it would have felt if Spurs had lost that game yeah exactly whether that would affect them going into the derby we don't know look ultimately they had the best chance they had the best chance possibly of the game in XG terms if Hoiberg heads that ball out the goal rather than trying to head it back across the cane, that would have been the best chance of the game probably in XG terms, I think. And it, it, it doesn't count towards XG because he Does anybody, shoot. you're both brainy blokes, does anyone have a solitary single clue why Hoiberg didn't try and score there? Yeah, someone not being fully comfortable in front of goal. If you're Hoiberg and in your vision, you're looking back across goal and in your vision you can see Harry Kane attacking the back post... I think it does make sense to try and head it back across to the guy who scores shed loads of goals. And obviously he's headed it behind him rather than ahead of him and it's all gone completely wrong. But I can see why 
he, he thinks it's a better option for the team to head it back across goal to Kane rather than trying to beat maybe the best goalkeeper in the world at his near post of a header when he's not really a player who finds himself in that situation too often. The way Spurs played came in for some criticism uh, after the game from the Liverpool manager. And there's no point in him sitting there um, doing his uh, avuncular act and saying, of course, it's, it's really just my point of view. He, we all know what he was doing there. He was directly and heavily criticising Spurs for two things, um, being too defensive and not lining up in a way that Liverpool would definitely win the game with. And also, Charlie, the first time in recorded human history, and I've checked in the pyramids on Ogham stones and cave paintings, that Spurs, Tottenham Hotspur, have been compared to Atletico Madrid. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a weird situation because I, I asked him the question that prompted this. Oh, it was you, was it? Good man. <laughs> in a very... Sometimes you ask questions and you're kind of bracing yourself because you know you're going to be met with hostility this wasn't really one of those situations I just asked him if he'd been impressed with the way Spurs defended which felt pretty uncontroversial given the way they'd been excellent defensively and really contained his team and he just went off on one about this and he did it um after the 2-2 draw in December at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium he accused Spurs of playing long ball he said all they did was kicked it long and Kane and Son ran after it and in writing a piece in response to what Klopp said I looked at some other examples where he's been similarly graceless about other teams, including Atletico, when they knocked um, Liverpool out of the Champions League in March 2020. And, you know, saying, I don't understand the why, why they play this way when they have these players. And it's very easy to be, as you say, avuncular and friendly and smiley when you win every week. But he's a really, really bad loser or drawer in this case. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a lot of top managers are, a lot of top sports people are. I mean, in... That it always in tennis, Roger Federer was hailed as, oh, he's so graceful and charming. Isn't he amazing? Well, yeah, when he was winning Wimbledon every year and every Grand Slam, it's a lot harder then when you're not. And, and you see people, yeah, suddenly they might make comments like this. It was just really wide of the mark because, as James said, it was hardly like they went and parked the bus and just, you know, and even if they had, if they'd got a point, the end would have justified the means. But they didn't. They They set up as they always do and carried a real threat on the break and had... There's many good chances. So it was, he was, I mean, he, he was emotional as well. His team had just dropped really important points. It's understandable, but it was still very unfair and, and wide of the mark. I've got to say, I, I think he kind of could have got away with people saying, this is kind of a ploy, you know, it, it, it was kind of creating the siege mentality. He wanted to kind of not put extra pressure on his players. Because, you know, Liverpool... I think really struggled to create chances in that game. I don't, I, and Spurs did defend brilliantly, and obviously we we wouldn't want to uh, take any, anything away from Tottenham. But Liverpool also like didn't really seem to have a plan B. They didn't really create many good chances. I don't think they moved the ball around especially well, really. Other than Diaz, I didn't really think Salah and Mane really. No, they went to the plan B of of launching crosses, didn't they? And they're launching crosses to nobody, with a, you know, into into the far into the far post. No one attacking them, and they were doing they did that loads. But it, it was the point at which he said it works well for Tottenham in their fifth, like that, like an actual yeah. dig at Spurs, not just like, oh, yeah. not just focusing on the game, but focusing no, no. on Tottenham season. Yeah, like that. That's the thing that really sort of suggests it's a salty little dig at Spurs because the team couldn't beat them over the course of the season. Yeah, and as many people have pointed out as well, it was those same tactics that took six points off City, which is why Liverpool still have a sniff in this title race. 
There was no title race before Spurs won at Man City, by the way. And if you go back through like Jamie Carragher's tweets or whatever, it was that that it was at that point that everyone suddenly started getting it was City running away of it before Spurs beat City. There was no title race before that. Yeah, and also the selective memory, isn't it? You're absolutely right to say that he criticized Spurs for playing the long ball game um in the home game. And this one where they but they played but except for Emerson Royal's magnificent ball for that contributed to the goal. The other thing they did, as well as defending well, they played out through Liverpool's midfield. I think mm. that's what really rattled him. Mm. They they rarely get played through Liverpool. I mean, possibly only against Manchester City do they ever get played through. Exactly. He was fed up. I mean, of course, it's a, it's not a great result for either club, but it well, certainly isn't a great result for Liverpool. And he, he, he looked properly rattled. And if Charlie, if you were any part of that, congratulations. <laughs> well done. Yeah, that, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, well, the one place where I, where I will back Jurgen Klopp is that I have to say I wouldn't want to watch Spurs playing that deep every week. Now, of course, they're not playing that quality of opponents, but it, I wouldn't want it to become, let's say, like some of Jose Mourinho's teams, where that is the gig. We will sit on the edge of our box and then get it forward to our brilliant three forwards and hope for the best. I, I, I don't like it either. I think we kind of had these conversations, and this would have been before your mm. time, Danny, I'm afraid. Yeah. But we did have these conversations around that time. It's been like the Premier uh, League, though, to be fair, James. There wasn't yeah, really but, a podcast before I arrived, but, was there? <laughs> that is true. And in fact, yeah. this might have been even when Charlie was, uh, was off, so it might have been me oh, and Jack. Dear, oh, dear, dear, oh, dear. But the idea was, <laughs> it's all very well and good playing like that away to the best team in Europe, but you can't mm. get away with it no, against other teams. And I think that is the difference, isn't it? That Spurs have found... Uh, you know, as we said before, they found a team, found a system that can do both, and I think that that's I think that's one of the most encouraging things for me. If you if you can play against the top sides and consistently perform well, get good results, and be in the matches, the Spurs have done under Conte against Chelsea. Uh, sorry, hmm. against not against Chelsea, definitely not against Chelsea, against uh, Manchester City and Liverpool under Conte in three matches now. I, I think that stands you in really good stead, and doing the rest of it in theory should be the easy bit, right? Like like finding a playmaker that can unlock the door against, you know, a, a team that are playing like that against Spurs. That's the key now, isn't it? Yes. It, it, and and To winning the league next season. Which I know you you think they're odds-on favourites to do. They've got to keep out of this blasted Champions League. That's part of the master plan. Yeah, welcome back to, to the second part of today's edition of The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me are James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. Uh, Charlie, I put your name second there deliberately, not just because of obviously there might be some kind of talent running order, but because I have to ask you the next question. Is Charlie Eccleshare, the North London derby, a must-win <laughs> game for Spurs? You know, weirdly, I, I have heard uh, some people say not. Uh, oh, yes, it is, absolutely. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. But I mean, I said on going into the weekend's game that they could afford to lose the Liverpool game because this was a game they have to win. Yeah, of course it is. It's massive. And I think if they, it's not just must win, but I think it's a game that if they do win, I know Arsenal would still be ahead with that point advantage, but I think the it would be more than just three points. I mean, this, the psychological damage it could do, potentially the boost it would give Tottenham, it's just so big. We knew, you know, it's always felt it was always going to come down to this game. And here we are. We've been waiting four months for it. It's just, it's just massive. 
I won't have, though, there'll be people, you know, I suspect there'll be Spurs fans on social media going, we should have played this at Christmas when they were all in all the rest of it. I won't have any of that. The game is when it is. Those, that, there was lots of things that happened during the pandemic with games getting cancelled. And The daft thing is, if you look at the players who wouldn't have been available for Spurs at that point, and Romero was injured, mm. Mm. Kulisevsky and Benteco hadn't signed, Son was out, Kane was playing nowhere near the level he is now. So actually, and I mean, look, I think we know Arsenal were quite clever with getting that game called off and I think they sure. had one, maybe two COVID cases at that point. And by the way, I was quite amused to hear, uh, to hear Arteta say after the Arsenal game on Sunday that he was looking forward to the game. He couldn't wait for the game. He waited long enough. But actually, it's probably Spurs who will have the biggest difference in terms of strength for the team, maybe. It's, it's I mean, but, I know, like, no, you know, no. the irony is obviously... Thomas Partey, who's a massively important player for Arsenal, was away at AFCON and came back and then got injured. Yep. So he'll still be missing anyway. He's probably the key difference. But otherwise, it's probably only Tommy Asu, maybe, who's obviously only just come back. I can't think who else, whoever it was that had COVID, who we probably shouldn't name. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and do they have like, did they have one or two sort of shorter term injuries? Maybe? They, yeah, they were. I mean, obviously, the players away at they, they were without. Quite a lot of players. They still miss it. Xhaka was suspended. Yeah, Xhaka would have been out. He got sent off against Liverpool, Liverpool. In, the, in the League Cup. Yeah, they're without Tierney now, which is a big blow yeah. to them, I think. But yeah. yeah, they're still without the two players they loaned out in the week before that game. They got called off. Let me ask you a question, Charlie. How do Arsenal approach this game? I mean, they can afford any result. They've got a lot of wiggle room now. But playing for a draw, you risk losing the game. How do they? How are they going to play? Well, I think take away the what's at stake. If they've watched sort of what makes Spurs' life awkward, I think they would go into this game with a reasonably defensive setup. Not not just because they only need a point from it, but as Brighton showed, that's you know often a better way to beat Tottenham as well, and, and Brentford as well. Not that they were uber defensive, but they certainly weren't taking massive risks, and they had enough chances to win that game as well. Whereas, you know, we've seen teams like Liverpool and City come out and attack them, and it hasn't gone down very well I mean I think Arsenal would be mad as I say irrespective of game state to go out and attack this Tottenham team that's kind of playing into their hands but it is a bit of a weird one I mean I guess it's like you know we've seen and and has this happened to Arsenal they really won first legs it's happened against them maybe that it's like when you win a Champions League first leg and then you go into the second especially if you're at home which I know Arsenal aren't but you can sort of get a bit betwixt and between so they're they're gonna have to try and approach it as if you know it's it's not um there isn't as much at stake that's very hard to do mentally but yeah i think they'd be they would be wise to go in you know with a reasonably defensive approach the problem they have is they have to play one of cedric suarez and nuno tavares they've kind of arteta's done as much as he can to minimize the impact those guys have but he can't <laughs> he has to play one basically he can't play Tomiyasu in both fullback positions as much as no. he'd like to obviously you mentioned Kieran Tierney's out uh, and that's where I think Spurs will have a lot of joy and and Ben White may be out as well he's missed the last couple of games for Arsenal and that would be pretty big because a he's the first choice central defender for Arsenal and has been very good but it also if he w- if he was available they would have the option of playing three at the back they could have played all three of Gabriel Ben White and Holding which would have been very defensive um, and quite an unusual thing for them to do, or have the option to bring them on late on. Yeah, I certainly don't think they're going to be, or they'd be foolish to be going out thinking, e- even though a win would obviously end it, I don't think they yeah. can go thinking, yeah, let's go for the win, because if they do, Kane, Son and Kudusevsky are just going to be rubbing their hands. 
What about Spurs, uh, James? We saw what they did, regardless of what Klopp's comments were, by being very, very compact. Let's not call it defensive, but compact. Different game, different venue, different rewards. You know, you could say Spurs have got to be more attacking than they were at Anfield. They've got to try. They've got to win this game. But it won't. It won't. That won't be reflected, I suppose, in personnel changes. No, I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, you wouldn't be at all surprised if a starting eleven was exactly the same. And then, yeah, as Charlie was saying before, it's probably only minor sort of tactical, situational tweaks on that. But yeah, you're right. They obviously have to get out on the front foot, and I suspect you know they'll hopefully come sort of roaring out the traps, which would play into your theory of how they start games and how they end. Got them. to. Oh, yeah, I don't think if they don't score in the first ten minutes, they necessarily need to or should. You know, keep absolutely hammering at the door. I think I think there's definitely time for patience and it'll be one of those games, I think. I mean, Arsenal's defensive record is kind of okay, isn't it? It's not like in, insanely good. They haven't kept a clean sheet since mid-March. I mean, you know, I don't want to use the phrase they can be got at, but... I mean, the there, weird, there the weird thing about this game is that I don't know who... I mean, Arsenal have had a few of these kind of helter-skelter crazy wins in the last few weeks they beat Chelsea 4-2 United 3-1 and partly because they're missing a few of their first team players and it all feels very random and I don't know then if it would benefit them or Spurs more for it to become a kind of classic we attack you attack derby I sort of feel if Spurs but I, I would say that was a sorry to interrupt you there but I would say if it, did, if it did happen, it would favour Spurs. And Spurs had the better attack and better defence. Yeah, but I also think Spurs are so... They, they they kind of have the better players and they have such a settled structure. Arsenal are a bit patched up at the moment. And I just wonder if with the patience to, to sort of back themselves to say, the longer this game goes on, the more our superiority will win out. Because I do... That's, this is what's weird. I do think Spurs... It was such an odd weekend because Spurs went away and played brilliantly in drawing with arguably the best team in Europe. Arsenal spent it very, very nearly having an absolute calamitous collapse. And even without that, you'd say they did pretty poorly. They managed that game pretty awfully. And yet they came, they obviously benefited over the course of the weekend. But I do think Spurs can t- still go into that game feeling almost like, well, that they are the better side and back themselves. I mean, it's been, a, it's been a very bizarre season, I think, in the Premier League in many ways. And who would have thought um, that, as we, as you say, from Christmas when the game was cancelled, we've all been staring with laser-like vision at this game. on the, First, it was on the horizon. Now it's here. You wouldn't have thought, would you, at any stage, that take Liverpool and Manchester City out of the proceedings. But these are the two form teams in the second half of the season. Mm. I think in terms of points gathered up, they are, the, you know, except for the two challenges for the title, they are the next two best teams, which is slightly odd in itself because, you know, um, that neither of them look like perfect Champions League-ready winning machines to me. But, you know, you've got to be honest as well. Arsenal have done very well in the second half of this season. Let me ask you a question, James. How much are you looking forward to the game on Thursday? Oh, God. Uh, not at all. Not at all. I don't, I don't think... I don't think people really look forward no to these games, do they? Them. No. And they're horrible, horrible matches. Horrible I've atmosphere. Take, I've had to take the day off work because huh? <laughs> that's just a write-off that day. So there's no point in me trying to do any work on Thursday. So that's gone. It's such a horrible setup for Spurs because there's such a big upside for Arsenal, the possibility of going and winning that game and mm-hmm. getting like qualifying for the Champions League. And for Spurs, the biggest upside is 
closing the gap back down to one point and then being in this position where you're hoping Arsenal mess up in the last two games, which, you know, as you said, isn't impossible. But that is the best case scenario for Spurs on Thursday night, just kind of kicking, kicking the can down the road. But I think by the time you get to the day of the game, by the time you actually get to the to the ground, all you're thinking of is winning the game anyway. So it, it kind of probably doesn't really feel that different to like, say, that one in 2017 where the shoe was almost on the other foot and Spurs qualified for the Champions League by beating Arsenal in the last one at White Hart Lane. So I don't really think by the time the game kicks off, I don't, I don't think it will really feel any bigger than any other one before because it's just Arsenal or you always it's always like win at all costs. So I don't actually think like the, the broader context of it won't come into it, I don't think, really. You're looking forward to it, Charlie? I mean, it's just going to be... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it will feel any um, any different, any any bigger, if it's possible to feel any bigger because it's just this fixture is the most tense, angsty game. I, I know form but goes out the window, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but this is a very home-favoured fixture. I mean, the last time either team won away in the league was 2014 when... Riziki scored for Arsenal in a 1-0 it's a long long time in about his third second yeah. of the game as I recall yeah. Yeah. so it's eight years since either team's won away so but Tim Sherwood was the manager the last time a team won away that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that sort of feels like good context <laughs> yeah it's just going to be really interesting to see how the players approach it as well I mean you feel like Conte is going to relish it and he'll relish the atmosphere and I think he'll try and use the crowd I mean it's mad as well that this is the first the first one. competitive North and a derby with a with a full stadium you know Arsenal were the last team that they've played at home and in, in front of uh, proper fans because the, the one in December was was uh, December 2020 was mm. very few very reduced and then there was a friendly last summer so yeah I mean it's it's a very hard one to know what yeah. to expect I mean any out there's no outcome that would be a huge surprise in a way Let's assume, shall we, for the sake of the argument, and because then Charlie can get out his abacus again, if Arsenal lose, if Spurs win, let's be positive, if Spurs win, can Arsenal drop points away at Newcastle or at home to Everton? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, without wanting to sound like Charlie, they're definitely two difficult games. I mean, that Newcastle away game... I, Everton, I know will, Everton will probably be safe by that, I suspect. But that's, Yeah, that is, that is yeah. the thing, isn't it? I think that, you know... Yeah. Particularly if Spurs do what they need to do, which is beat Burnley in that mm. game the weekend before, then there is every possibility that Everton will be safe. Although, you know, as we established, Leeds are going to beat Chelsea. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that that could definitely be a big fly in the ointment, couldn't it? Because if, if, if Everton are safe and in party mode, without any motivation, that is only going to go one way. I think when you're at home last game of the season, you need to win playing against a team who have yeah. just achieved, not, not just like who are on the beach, but have just achieved it. The week before. Sure, if it was at Goodison, the fans wouldn't allow them to uh, to pony yeah, about, yeah, yeah. but it's it's not going to be there. Which takes us to Newcastle United, uh, Charlie. And they've done better since they brought in all, all those replacements. In fact, they've done very well since they brought mm. all those new players in January. They haven't done it necessarily particularly well against the better teams. Yeah, and that was why... Yeah, that's why I think, e- even with the anticipation that the results were going to go as they did on the weekend, that Spurs weren't going to win and that Arsenal were going to win. I always felt it was still very much alive because obviously the North London derby and then this game, Newcastle away is 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 really tough. I mean, like, like always at this stage of the season, you just don't know, you know, a team that in theory has nothing to play for, you know, Brighton had nothing to play for and they went and beat Arsenal and beat Spurs in consecutive weeks. So, but then you do play some teams and if you can get a lead against them, maybe their motivation isn't quite there. The fact that it's at St. James's, I think 
obviously give, a, gives yeah, them a big lift a ball, last, yeah. last game of the season. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely why, you know, if they win, uh, it, it, it's still on. And, you know, for Arsenal to go and play that game, having had it in their hands, then taking it away, you know, it's like a tennis player having served for the match and then having to do so again or playing a tiebreak or something. It's very, very difficult mentally to then pick yourself up. So, yeah, that and that's why Spurs will feel they absolutely, if they win, it's it's still on. Newcastle will want like a sort of headline result for the second half mm. of the season. Like obviously they've improved massively. They've beaten all of the kind of teams you'd expect them to beat. But as you say, Danny, you know, they got smashed at Spurs. They got smashed yesterday by Man City. Lost uh, to Liverpool. They played well, but lost narrowly to Liverpool. Chelsea, they lost. They played really well at Stamford Bridge and lost narrowly. But they will want like a sort of big win, to, especially last home game. A of the statement season before, result, you know, yeah. A statement result, yeah, before yeah. they go up and have this summer of mad spending against a flashy Southern team on a Monday night. I mean, they're definitely going to be up for it. I noticed Kieran Trippier and Callum Wilson were both back on the bench. Both came on towards the end of the game yesterday yep. as well. Maybe maybe our man Trips will uh, come up trumps. Trips or Willock, yeah. Be- <laughs> Make a bigger contribution to Spurs than he did in the European Cup final. Without wanting to become like a football manager who, who they always, we have to take one game at a time. I guess in this particular case, this is a one-off offer here on the view from the lane, we perhaps will take one game at a time, concentrate uh, our minds and our hopes. Let's just win 5-0 on Thursday and then see how we go. Down. Exactly. Um, get, That's all I ask. Get three up at half time, relax a bit, and then we'll see how the rest of the season unfolds. Whatever the, the long-term outcome, it's always good to win the North London derby. All of us are old enough to, to remember that long, 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 long spell where we didn't win it for ages. Thankfully, those days are behind us. And with a, a bit of luck, uh, they can uh, extend the race for the Champions League into the latter stages of the season. Listen, thank you both. It's been an absolute joy, as always. Thank you all for listening as well to The View from the Lane. And remember that if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up right now to read all of our articles on Spurs, as well as everything else on the site, which is a huge pile of magnificent stuff. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just £1 a month for six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. We'll be back on Friday, of course, where all will be revealed. Thank you for listening. The Athletic.